Hello and welcome to Behind the Scenes with New Zealand Response Team 8. That's the team based in Wellington. And they're going to tell us all about how they operate and their wish list for D4H. So um, let's meet some of the guys. Uh, Natalie, I think, is going to come in. Hey, Natalie. Hi there. You're joining us from <laughs> nice New Zealand? Yes, joining us from Wellington. I think last month you had people from the South Island, but we're from Wellington, which is at the bottom of the North Island of New Zealand, capital city. Excellent. And uh, Richard as well, right? Yes, indeed. Morena, uh, um, good to be here. Excellent. Thanks, Richard. So, so Natalie, you're the team leader, and Richard, you're head of personnel. Yeah, that's right. So um, we have a couple of team leaders at uh, Wellington Emergency Response Team share share the load around. We're a volunteer, yeah. fully volunteer team. Um, and so, yeah, le leading the team um, and also used to be head of personnel, but have passed that, that mantle on to Richard, who's doing a much better job than me. Um, and he's also a squad leader with the team as well. Brilliant. So give me that terminology. What's a team leader do then? How does that, uh, how does that work? Ah, well, you know, when you first join the team, um, or when you first look to join the team, you come along and are a recruit. And then once you've been through various uh, training exercises and 12 hour exercises and things, you might become a full team leader if you're voted into the team. Um, and then just can progress through the ranks to become a senior team member and then potentially a squad leader if you've got those leadership skills. And then yeah, we have a couple of people who are the people who um, the council will call us to deploy. We're part of the civil defense mm -hmm. system, volunteers, um, and so might be called by the emergency controller to deploy. Team leader will do that and will represent the team at um, various events and yeah, just make sure the whole team's running smoothly. And we've got a series of committees to support. So it's not all like one person doing everything. Um, so that yeah. all the team members are assigned to committees um, with areas of responsibility, like equipment or personnel or PR and sponsorship, etc. So operational are, readiness. Are, are all the RTs in New Zealand similar size or do they, do they vary across the um, quite varied. So uh, we have, um, yeah, there's some some quite small teams, some teams that are much, much bigger. Um, there's also some teams that work quite closely with other teams. Um, and we sometimes do form composite teams when we deploy. So NZRT8 mm -hmm. has about, I think, 24 um, operational team members. And then we've got a whole bunch of recruits at the moment <laughs> coming through, 10 or maybe 12 um, recruits coming through. So we've been expanding yeah. a little bit recently uh and that's a really good size if we want to have the um be able to have the shift system and cover things like out of region deployments where people might be away for a week um so we need to have quite a number of team members the operations guidelines with the um, national accreditation framework that's recently come in for nzrts to make sure all the sort of capabilities are standardized and people are you know qualified to the right standard that um tasking agencies can rely on but the ops guidelines say that we should deploy as a um a, squad a team of eight um each time we deploy and then obviously if you have um rotations then you need yes. quite, a, quite a number more very good it, it's a, it's a great time isn't it having new members in because you get to rerun all of that basic training that that's boring for for the people who've been there a while unless there's new members present yeah you got it exactly it's nice timing richard what do you do as as head of personnel uh, so as head of personnel, uh, key responsibility is just uh, keeping an eye on on the team and thinking about things like recruitment, bringing new people in, 
um, supporting them in their pathway through the different stages that uh, Natalie just mentioned. Um, also uh, thinking about team welfare, you know, how do we support people given the nature of the work that we're involved in? And yeah. I guess, you know, uh, well-being is a big topic at the moment, I think just generally, globally. Uh, so, you know, for us as a team, we're, we're very focused on the well-being of our members as well. Um, and uh, just uh, using the likes of D4H around uh, insight and intelligence for us from a people perspective. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things we will talk about is obviously qualifications and an accreditation. Um, so we uh, liaise very closely with our training committee um, to understand the gaps that exist from an accreditation point of view and a qualification point of view and how do we build those, those calls and that capability over the longer term. What is the accreditation you're going for? Um, so the team is already accredited. So uh, we, the uh, New Zealand uh, response teams have, well, NEMA have, which is the overarching agency, the uh, National Emergency Management mm. Agency has introduced a accreditation framework for response teams nationally. Uh, so the framework has a number of strands uh, and the response teams, uh, depending on their capability, will uh, look to be accredited in, in different strands. Say, for example, there's a foundational strand, uh, there's a flood response strand, there's a storm response, uh, mass casualty, uh, there's a rope, technical rope strand as well, you know, so there's a few others. So depending mm. on, I guess, the nature of your local sort of incidents, um, you will tend to find teams will focus on certain strands versus others, but everyone needs to have that foundational strand. Um, our team went through the accreditation process about a year and a half ago, I think it was. Um, and we've been accredited in uh, five of those strands. Um, and what what the accreditation framework does is it provides a, um, I guess, assurance to other agencies around the capability of the team uh, and the ability of the team to deploy into certain situations and to be able to be operationally effective in those situations. So from yeah. a co-response, multi-agency perspective, it's very useful. So we've got the likes of the fire service fiends, um, ambulance, who I'm also a volunteer for, um, police, you know, so they, they will have a very good understanding of what we're capable of doing given a particular incident and just kind of enables that interoperability. Can you talk a little bit about what, what are you good at doing? Like, what, what are the skills? What does the response team bring? Yeah, so uh, response team, uh, we operate across a number of different um, sort of areas. Uh, within the Wellington area, we're, we're particularly focused on light urban search and rescue. So I guess the the uh, big thing we're all preparing for is, is a major earthquake. You know, we're a, yes. um, a seismically active area and we have quite a few earthquakes rolling through on an annual basis. Um, so I guess we are preparing for a situation where we do get a, a, a decent sized shake coming through and then we'll be able to to, to be, respond to that. Um, in addition to that, uh, we uh, train in relation to welfare. So uh, setting up emergency assistance centres, uh, dealing with members of the public uh, in response to, a, to an incident. Uh, we had one recently where the team was stood up to um, help out with the uh, emergency assistance centre with a large fire um, that claimed a number of lives. Um, 
within Wellington. So uh, we assisted with that. Um, we also train in storm response. Uh, so Wellington's a fairly not only seismically active area, but also quite dynamic in terms of weather patterns. Uh, windy Wellington uh, is, is a fairly, fairly common term. Um, so we do have quite a few storms coming through here on a regular basis. So we'll have things like, you know, um, roofs will disappear, trees will come down. Um, so uh, we train to assist with uh, response in those situations. Flooding as well. Mm -hmm um uh, we had a major and so that, that uh, you're on the you're on the ground recently. i mean that is that is that swift water rescue is that is that guys in dry suits is it is it debris cleanup i mean what what are the key skills there is it rescue of people or or the yeah the so we, we're not so much in in the the rescue side of things mm -hmm. where we're um assisting first uh emergency services in relation to that uh, we do have teams that do have swift water capability, so it's not a strand that our team has uh, been accredited sure. in. Um, they will be involved in, in rescue, um, and so it would be more uh, supporting the, the rescue operation. Natalie, what are we looking at in the photos here on screen? This is the team? Uh -huh. Yeah, that, that is the team. And so... Uh, as, as Richard said, last year we went through the accreditation process and because this is a new accreditation process, there was previously, I don't know, a decade or maybe even 20 years ago, there was a different kind of orange card process which was much more focused on uh, search and rescue or ground-based rescue. Um, and now the accreditation process is, is much stronger and the National Emergency Management Agency um, needed someone to go first. <laughs> so we went through the process first to sort of test the process and um, get accredited. And so we put together our portfolio of evidence and went through all the sort of practical demonstrations of um, our capabilities. So that those photos, the bottom one is one of the places where we were um, doing a roof kit for a storm response um, in the in the accreditation demonstration of capabilities. And the top one, which I wasn't in, um, is, um, is the at Parliament where the Minister for Civil Defence Emergency Management um, presented the team with the, you know, with the first accreditation certificate. Very good. So, well, yeah, what did you say is happening on the bottom? It, it's a roof. What was it? A roof. Oh, this was just after, just after we'd um, basically simulated a storm response where we'd had to go in and do debris removal from that home Very and good. also um, gone on the roof and practised mending the roof. We demonstrated that we could. So... And and you were talking about that's a squad of eight will go out and do that work. Is that what I heard? I mean, it it completely depends on the tasking, and um mm. and we you know, it, interestingly, the ops guidelines sort of say certain things, and then once you sort of have them for real, you need different things. So some tasks will need more people, some tasks will need fewer, um, mm -hmm. and obviously it's partly about safety and partly about efficiency and effectiveness <laughs> but yeah the sort of standard minimum squad to deploy would be eight but if the needs are to have more then you have more uh, and uh my impression i guess both from the news but also talking to d4h users over there is that the last six months are sort of the busiest six months in new zealand's sort of response team history i don't know if that's fair but it, it sounds like it from over here yeah well i mean i don't have the data to say it's specifically the busiest but certainly I mean, it's been the busiest since i've been around it's in the news here it's, it's been <laughs> exactly. in the news here more than more than ever before yeah it's disaster so, after disaster yeah. and they seem to be overlapping yeah so we um 
I think the key thing here is as well, as well as um, teams responding in their local communities, which is what we're here for and what we primarily do. This year, we've also um, a lot of teams, like a lot of teams have, we've um, deployed mm. out of our own region. So previously for our team, when we deployed out of region, it was to support the Christchurch earthquakes, you know, what, more than a decade ago um, and support Pigeon Valley fires with a composite team, but not a lot of out of region deployments. And then this year so far, both Richard and I and another um, squad have deployed out of region so richard can tell us about that so um i was acting team leader for the deployment in response to the cyclone gabrielle event which was um i think it's the costliest uh, storm on record in the southern hemisphere it's uh estimated about eight and a half billion dollars uh, us dollars damage um there were eight fatalities in the uh, new zealand uh, area and um, just significant uh, damage, um, hard hard to kind of convey. Um, we were deployed, we were flown into a um, isolated community. We were there about two weeks after the actual event. Um, it was still cut off. Um, they We were assisting with um, a bridge operation, so their bridge had been washed out. Uh, and we had a setup where we had IRBs um, used to traverse the, the uh, river and assisting with uh, goods and personnel, um, you know, getting across the river. Also What's welfare, an IR, uh, IRB? Uh, IRB, uh, so a, um, yeah, inflatable uh, boat, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, And yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah also uh, helicopter operations as well. Uh, and just anything that the community needed a hand with, to be honest, um, we were quite, oh, well, uh, I was quite impressed that the, the community was very, very self-sufficient. The, the, the community we were with were in quite good shape. Um, uh, their, their biggest challenge was it's a very rural community, so livestock issues were coming to the fore. Um, and we were also um, co-deployed with uh, NZDF, uh, so the uh, Defence Force, uh, the Army specifically, uh, and also uh, police on occasion would, would be... Um, assisting us as well and uh, so yeah it was quite a we were there we were uh, there for five days so we uh, mm. one day travel either side um rotated in there was a team in there before us um and assisted the local community as best as we could yeah excellent so if I may, I'll just add something there. So yes, Richard's team were deployed, took a team. We'd previously sent my team was up in Auckland for the Auckland floods. And so between the Auckland floods and Cyclone Gabrielle, um, so between the 27th of January and the 11th of March, there were 190 response team volunteers that were deployed, many of them out of region, and 1,290 days of volunteer work during a state of national emergency. So yeah, it certainly went from, turned into a big thing. Yeah, really brilliant. It, it, New Zealand seems to do a great job of resilient communities. I don't know if you feel that when you're there, but from internationally looking, I think you do a great job of communi communicating to people that they need to be resilient because help won't get there in some cases. And we kind of see that elsewhere where um, they're trying to push communities to do that and they're only starting now. Everyone's sort of leaning on the emergency services. Um, mm. And disasters are just increasing, and, and they're realizing that that's not going to be good for the future. Um, excellent. Okay. Well, this is interesting stuff. Let's see if we can go <laughs> to the next. Uh, Should we talk features? Slide. Yeah, I think we've talked so, through a lot of this at this point. 
I don't know if there's anything else you want exactly. to add. No, well, just to say that um, these capabilities and competencies for the different strands, they've all got qualification requirements associated with them. Um, and then there's also requirements for the team leads and the medics and the drivers and the specialists. And so in the old days, we had one mega spreadsheet that was sort of keeping track of things. And a lot mm -hmm. of it was about um, us as team leaders knowing the competencies of our team, like just, just kind of knowing it. Yeah. But now we also have to evidence it a lot more with um, qualifications that are offered through the National Qualifications Authority um, and assessed that way rather than just us watching people demonstrate their skills in training. So that's why we need to sort of I, I know what you're leading up to here. We need more qualification features. That's the next thing coming up. Exactly. Okay. Subtle. Subtle talk, as a talk brick to me. me. Talk to me. Yeah, talk to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. So equivalencies, equivalency of qualifications, which is a good example of this one. Um, so first of all, in the national accreditation framework, there are some cases where you can have um, this qualification or this qualification. So one-to-one, -one, mm -hmm. this is fine or this is fine. Sometimes it's you can have this a qualification A and B or qualification X um, and at the moment I sort of put them all in there and then I have to sort of like apply brain to figure out oh no this person's okay to not have that because they've got that. Um, for some of them um, we've tried putting them in as one qualification that applies to this or this but that means mm -hmm. that the auditability is not so good of that. And then um, the other situation is where you've got prior learning or um, skills acquired elsewhere, for example, Richard and his ambulance um, skills, where he doesn't need to have the sort of basic first aid that ordinary, ordinary people do in their ordinary lives. He's, he trains to a much higher level, um, but it still shows in D4H that he's missing these sort of fundamental qualifications. So we need to be able to mark that off as not required due to, um, you know, uh, equivalency for yeah. another reason. So I think the, the solution to this one, and, and I think you said it in your notes to us, was you've heard this before that we've said um, there's lots of demand on this, and there, there really is, is is on that when you're setting up a group expectation, the ability to say effectively this one or this one or this one uh, or this and this one and this one so that, that there's a ability to, to build something a little more custom. Exactly. So it's, I guess, kind of in my head overrides. So you're like, the standard is this, these are all required, but we can have these overrides that basically turn off your requirement to have that thing. Um, and oh, so okay. we could, we could do it at a sort of the standard for the group is all of these I mean, I think there's two, like I say, I think there's two different things here. One is the logic you can apply within the qualifications that exist. So as I say, if mm. you've got this plus this, you, you don't need this. If you've got this, you don't need these other two. So that's sort of logic that you can apply based on, and we can apply based on people's records of achievement. Um, and tick, 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 don't need this. Mm -hmm. And then the other situation is us recording that a person has something that effectively relieves them of the requirement to have something which is on an individual basis rather than a same logic okay. for everyone type basis so if either of yeah. those things were possible um great i think the um removal of the requirement to have it due to people's um what do they call it apple you know prior learning or whatever um is possibly i mean it, it'd be great but in my head it's harder <laughs> for you to do <laughs> i don't know maybe it's not <laughs> um, but even just the you know if you have this plus this you don't need this that would be perfect yeah gotcha well i i don't have an answer on a on a date on this one but we do hear the the demand for it um what yep. we'll get is um we might get 
um, I don't know if you've spoken to GP before, but GP might be able to get some dates on all these pieces for you and come back to you during the right. week with, you know, what we know about them, whether we've, we've the roadmap for 2023 sort of largely defined. There's still little bits of space in it, but it's largely defined at this point. Or I can tell you if that's, you know, going to fit in this year or not. Great, because I remember you saying previously about the the demand that's out there. So yeah, at the moment we um we just have to do it offline and add our own logic sort of separately. So yeah, great yeah. No, I know there's demand. There's been lots of requests for it. And actually, um, an example of something that wasn't on the roadmap that went through only today. We, we released the more complex off call, repeating off call schedules. Um, that's you can see it on updates.d4h.com for anyone watching and that um that's a good example that's that's been there for a long time like 2017 or something that started getting a bit of momentum and we were able to fit it in uh due to the demand Great. so um but you never know um you never know okay what's this gap <laughs> analysis across the team for multiple strands describe this to me yeah so basically as i say we've got our um our our Oh, I think we've changed the slide order. That's right. So we've got our um, our requirements for each group. Um, mm -hmm. So we've got a strand as a group in D4H. And then we basically have two things that I need to be thinking about behind the scenes. So one thing is, have I got all the right people in the right groups? So, um, and I guess if I speak to the second bullet point first, <laughs> we've got a bunch of new recruits in. I don't want to add them into the light rescue strand yet because I know they're not operationally ready. But there's not a place mm -hmm. I can see going what do they need to be operational ready so i kind of need to add them into the strand to see what they need to be part of the, or add them into the group to see what they need in order to be part of the group but as soon as i add them into the group then suddenly it looks like i've got an extra 10 people um in that group and they also you know get whatever communications we're sending etc so it's almost like i need a kind of shadow group for those people <laughs> It's a duplicate copy of these are the people that are working towards becoming operational in that strand so i can see their their gaps, their qualifications that are needed in order to enter that group, if you know what I mean. Or, yes. Do you yeah. have um, when you when you're setting up the expectations? Do you have a status called preferred? So there's required. Do you have preferred? Yep. Yep. Oh, you do have that. Does that so work? Guess, that you make it preferred training for for trainees or anything? Um, yeah, so I can I can do that where I put people into the trainee group and then I can make them preferred for every single qualification that exists mm. or that's required for any strand. But then I can't kind of go, oh, these people are ready for light rescue, but not ready for civil defense and welfare, you know, because okay. um, it's all just lumped into one big one big pile. So if I make them preferred at a at a um, recruit general level, then I can't, still can't see that they're ready to move um but yeah that is what we what we do at the moment is keep them out of those um groups until they become operational but it's just so a process how, how do you how do you feel them. this gap analysis looks like what does it it's a massive matrix so i know that you've got a groups um you've got a groups qualification export where you can see the matrix of just the qualifications that are required for that group yeah. and all the people that are in it um yeah but what i can't see is who's not in that group like the negative space mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, and how they fit and so maybe it, one way 
that might be as easy is to be able to do that export and be able to say actually include everyone even if they're not in the group but have some way of us being able to filter them then still we'd need to do that seven times for the different groups um, and so it'd be great to have some sort of mega matrix where I can see basically Ratchet's got all of these qualifications for these strands um, and somehow be able to to do that so the, there is a matrix mean? qualification of all of the qualifications versus all of the members. Does that yes, answer it? No, but that, you want the groups. No, because well? because I need to know which ones they actually need. You know, for this, for the groups, for the framework. Because okay. we were using this well before the framework was introduced. So we've got qualifications in there, and there's also qualifications that are useful but aren't mandatory in the in the framework. But we decide that we want yeah. our people to have these. So, so um, and so I want to have them in the system. What would be really useful if you've got a sample matrix just so we can understand what the rows and columns are on that? Because it sounds like yeah. Richard would appear multiple times, right? In each group, from what you're describing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we, we could do it that way, or we could do it that he just appears once, but there's a way of indicating that these are the groups, that, that there's qualifications for this group. Okay. If you send us on a template of what you think that should be, just like, three members sample three <laughs> members kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. um sure. we'll take a look at it and, and try and answer it a little bit more um, yeah because i'm still trying to figure that one out in my head and i guess it wasn't such a big deal for our first accreditation because we sort of had one batch of people that were all kind of you know pretty much operation we had a couple of other people that were not but it was very clear but now that we've got cohorts coming through um keeping mm -hmm. track of those is is a bit harder but it's also brilliant to oh. have the cohorts going through <laughs> That makes sense. Um, we've talked about this one more. Okay. Oh my goodness. So this one, um, this one, this date thing, it does my head in and I feel like it's probably going to take a developer not very long to fix. So when you're inputting the qualifications, yeah, putting the especially qualifications. if you've got um, people who um, have just joined the team and they're coming with their record of achievement and maybe they've come from another team or another life space where they have a lot of the qualifications we need and i've got to do the data entry so i start typing in the qualification and then i need to say when they've got it and i literally have to click in and do the mouse and click in and go okay this was the month this was the year and this was the day they got that qualification yes, gotcha. and then sometimes you get two qualifications that you get on the same day like 6401 and 6402 are both first aid you probably do a course that does that and 6403 so i've got to do all of those mouse clicks every time for every qualification and so i just want to be able to type it in and type it in is great and ideally i'd be able to like copy paste and go down like yesterday i was doing some for um people that did a course a wee while ago and actually <laughs> yeah uh, the easiest way for those people was for me to do a group qualify them all at once and then delete the group <laughs> i mean do a qualify yeah I mean, an event, sorry, no, you know, exercise, so, um, which was a very hacky. And it's just, if we can upload, so great. You, but you created an attendance list, is that what you mean? Yeah, effectively, I did create an attendance list as a workaround. <laughs> just be to able to qualify, qualify them all on the same day. People at once. Um, yeah, okay. But that's a total workaround. And m mm. more often than not, it's a number of different qualifications for one individual rather than a number of individuals for one qualification on the same day unless we've um, organized the training in which case we can use the functionality you've already got already that's excellent which is your attendance list and click qualify for those people gotcha so so i'm just having a look here so if i go to a, a member's profile 
and they update their qualifications, it's not pulling any dates through if there's multiples. So, but I understand the typing would be useful as well. Um, let me just see yeah. what happens here if we go. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it, there, each one is today. To, yeah, it defaults today. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And and you know you can do a bulk upload as well. I know it doesn't sound like the solution there, but you can do it. Not for on one, one individual. Member, but on, no, yeah. it's on the other way. Yeah. It's exactly. And so yeah. So it's really good to be able to do it come at it from different angles because sometimes yeah, you've got absolutely. Um, what a qualification with a lot of people that have done it possibly at the same time. Sometimes you've got a person that's coming in that we need to record all the things that they've that they've done. Yep, perfect. Makes makes complete sense. Okay, export. Oh, there's a comment in here. Oh. Um, this is David and York rescue boat. So, I own a training group for each strand, which is I think what you said. You sounded like you're yeah. you're doing. Yeah, so it just means we have to have a, effectively a shadow group for each strand, which is more maintenance to try and figure out is this member in this strand, but not that strand. Mm. They need to be in, you know, <laughs> yeah, keep track yeah, that yeah. they're not in more than one, all those things. But yeah, Thanks, exactly. David. That's the excellent workaround, David. Um, um, qualification export. Yeah, so I think. Ah, just um, to hand one, them to the teams. Yeah, well, one is for us to check we've got our own configuration set up, right? Because it's easier to just like download an eyeball mm. than it is to click into each thing. Um, and then the other thing is if we can do that, it's quite it's quite good if other teams can therefore leverage off the data entry work that we've yeah. done. Um, Interesting. And so that would be cool. But yeah, I think, as I say, even just each team being able to eyeball how, they, how their setup is um, and make sure that it's correct, that's, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. There's... Um... There is the option when, if you've multiple teams under a parent organization, the parent organization can configure the qualifications for all of the teams. So they're all matching and then they can look at them on a team level rather than on an individual's level. So team A has certain percent qualified, team B has a certain percent. It's a little bit different than you're describing. That's normally where we see multiple teams with identical qualification sets but i like that idea so the ability to export a configuration and give it to somebody else who could import it mm. yeah that'd okay, be cool cool yeah and i guess like um that whole thing of having a same owner that works really well when it's one organization that's nationwide but because all of these nzrts we have one yep. framework we're all working to yes, but we're all absolutely. owned by different bits of local government or ngos <laughs> <laughs> we're not all owned no, by the make, same people. No, it makes sense. Usability improvements. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one. And Richard's a really so, good example because we've got two Richards in our team. So if I just type Richard, first I see one of the Richards, all of their attachments with their various documents that they've got attached that we've put the name mm. Richard in. Then I see like the various patches and other things that have been assigned from their equipment. So I think I have 11 documents to go through and then several, four maybe equipments before I get to either of the humans. So, and I'm like, so that's the one I wanted. <laughs> it, it, it may not be what you want to do, but the workaround on that is you can disable all the attachments in the search index. Um, it's yeah. possible to take items out of search, which can make it it can make it easier to use. Um, but it doesn't mean it means you can't search for them. 
so that makes it easier for me to use but then it makes it hard for equipment to use because i've just taken all their stuff out of the search index so we've talked about this um we've also talked about yeah um yeah lot, lots of search improvements um we did some work on performance on it last year but we didn't add any functionality to it so um i think i, I agree with you again yeah i think it's a, a great feature <laughs> Reprioritize all the developers. <laughs> <laughs> um, ability to see history of a person's role or rank in the team. Yeah. yeah. So this is one okay. where, um, especially, you know, like it's basically, we've just had our 30th um, anniversary as a team. I mean, it's changed name mm -hmm. and changed a few things about it over time um but we're sort of really realizing how good it is to be able to would how good it would be that's currently virus yeah. a separate manual list to be able to look back and go hey these people were members for these dates which you can do in d4h because you've got your start date and your retired date um mm. but also these people were you know team lead for this date these this person became a squad leader then this person went on long-term leave for a whole year for this period and then came back <laughs> um, and so just to be able to effectively do the kind of gantt chart of how the teams yeah. looked over time um yeah because at the moment we just put comments in the text section against someone's you know one of the text boxes against and, someone's record which isn't very reportable in any yeah. way yeah and, and so that 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 I mean I think the rank is our position field if if that's what I'm thinking is free text mm. so it's not like you're yep. you're selecting a position from that list but would it be okay that you know you just say change from effectively today or a selected date and we save the last value that was in that field is that all this is that'd be brilliant yep so that's some free work. text okay yeah 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 okay nice one yeah um, leave tracking. Oh, wait, Different. sorry, if I go back to the last one, maybe not today, but maybe us be able to set a date because we don't always do the admin on the exact day. That yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so default, it would say change, change. Um, the, yeah, I know exactly uh, um, what, what you're thinking. Yeah, perfect. Uh, leave tracking. Yeah, so this is the difference between kind of off call, and, and I guess this is something we might talk about in the next slide as well about the reason for absence. Um, so sometimes mm. we have people who are like, you know, we've got a bunch of engineers in the team, they might be sent to Fiji for six months to build bridges. Um, and so they're kind of long term leave. So we want to sort of mm -hmm. take them out and they become non-operational for a period and yeah. that's fine. Um, and off call and all those things. Um, and then sometimes there's people who are just taking leave for a few weeks. I mean, we've got our guy Paul who's becoming our D4H guru who's who's on leave just now for for a month. Um, and yeah, just being able to uh, keep track of that and look back and, and be able to see, okay, this person's actually been on leave for X months of the last two years. <laughs> um, so that kind so of it sounds like it's the same as the the position field. It's their member status when when it changed. That's what I hear there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. I've heard that one before. Um, sounds useful, definitely. <laughs> Ability to see reason for absence. Yeah. And this is on an activity. 
Yeah, exactly. This is on an activity. Um, so we're everyone's getting so good now. It used to be that um, no one would say in advance on D4H. They might put a message in another way or send mm -hmm. an email saying there were apologies, but now people are putting it in D4H. Um, but we can't sort of, you know, it's this binary thing of you attended or you didn't attend. And you can take people out from having been required to attend, but there's no way of saying um, they didn't attend, but it was excused versus they didn't yeah. attend just because they didn't turn up and yeah. the reason why we don't want to take people um you know off the attendance list if they're excused um is because we do want to show that they that they weren't there if they've got to attend 80 percent of their trainings over a certain period we need to be able to report on that um and we can't do it by all exercises because we also have exercises in there for external courses that are offered or mm. or other types of exercises but the monday night training we want to be able to see their you know report on their percentage attendance um and yeah sometimes it is justified they've on shift with the ambulance they can't come <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so can't so what we're thinking on that one is we also need to split the at the moment the um attending or absent option uh, on it um it's whether there's only one value for that which is either the team member says in the future, I'm going to be there. And then the admin or the editor comes in afterwards and they're, they're moving the same thing. We want to separate mm. that so you can see what they said and then what you want to save it as. What they um, did. So, Excellent. Yeah, so they're, they're separate, right? So we want to break that up. And that sounds like the time to put a comment in um, at the same time, something like that. So, yep, understood. And I think that's very much on, on the direction and line we're, we're thinking of going um what was the other piece on that there was something around because we're also going to link that into uh through into the management as check in and check out times on an activity so oh yeah relevant to what you say you're going to do you can also check in and check out of the scene or or a training exercise um because there's been lots yeah, of requests great. around can we put a qr code print a qr code off that people can scan just check in or you know like lots of stuff like that we've a couple of teams with like 300 members which is an entirely different operation i don't know how they yeah i don't know how 300 people all train on the same night but they do um <laughs> it's a lot of the, the icelandic guys of large large teams and um yeah we get that qu question quite a lot is is can we just put a something like a qr code up as people come in the door they scan it with the app or something just to prove they were there i don't know um yeah like exactly that. This yeah. uh, ability to move documents. Say, Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no. So one thing I should say is um is that um I think I think you put it in the ad, but we're very much talking about personnel and training here because we're not yet using instant management. I know some other mm. um, teams around the country are, and I saw NZRT4 using it up in the Auckland floods and stuff, um, which is great. But for the moment, we're just using the kind of basic um, incident yep. or exercise or um, event type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. All the pre-planning stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Um, and that's kind of the admin records management side of it. Uh, incident management for people who don't know is like a real time collaboration tool. So, uh, quite different. It's, it's normally used by people managing an incident rather than people responding to an incident would be the way I describe it. Um, but lots of people will be users of, so maybe collecting up damage assessments into a central area or filling in the SIMS forms, that kind of stuff um ability to move documents 
I'm going to list this as a bug. I don't think this is feature request. Um, I tested this. And <laughs> you should be able to move it, and it doesn't let you find the qualification award when you're searching. Um, you can move it to anything else, but not a qualification award. So, um, okay, cool. So I think that's Back. a bug. And we'll just get it fixed. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Ability to collect other data when doing availability checks. Okay, you'll have to talk me through this one. Yeah, so I guess it's sort of like the um, form or QR code thing that you were talking about first and that was mentioned in a previous um, webinar, but not quite the same thing. So, um, you know, when we've got, you know, upcoming exercises or whatever, we just use the, you know, personnel app and you say you're coming or you're not coming. But then when we have an actual um, call out, uh, sometimes it's a thing where it's, um, you know, local. Sometimes it's a bigger thing, like when we're doing these out-of-region deployments. And so we almost always have to ask other things other than just, are you available? So we currently send out a Google form, basically, where people are saying if they're available, but also if they need transport, if they're only available between these hours and not after that. Um, we also, uh, we've, it's not such a big deal now, but um, for quite a few years there, it was like, have you done your COVID test today <laughs> before you deploy and you had to confirm? Um, so these kinds of things. And so at the moment, that's completely decoupled, us checking people's doing the availability checks. It's completely decoupled those forms. How, how do you send the message um, at the moment? What do you, how do you send that um, form or? We, we we now spam people. It used to be via email with a text message to say check your email. Um, now it's it just as equally often via social media messaging as well in parallel. And it's basically just get the link out to people, and some people respond yeah. best to different um, communication means. And so is that that's to your 20, 20 or thirty people that you're saying? Is it like on yeah. WhatsApp or something, or how do you just put in a group? We sometimes. We use we have a we have a messenger group, but also sometimes mm -hmm. when we deployed, we also sometimes use WhatsApp. Um, and then, as I say, we've got our email addresses, um, the group email addresses. We tend to use that more than the communications within D4H, partly because everyone's got other lives and they're more likely to be on their email than mm -hmm. logged into D4H at that exact moment. But also yeah. because um, when you um, like we really like having the mailing list that when you apply, it goes back to the mailing list. And then when you apply again, it goes back to the mailing list. And if someone's joined the mailing list in that time, that the, they'll get the new thing um, rather than if it's come out via D4H where it's just gone to a list of individuals that will stay the same list mm -hmm. of individuals. Um, yeah. um, we, we've actually even dropped actually. <laughs> on the email. We, do, we don't even do CC and we used to send you used to be able to send an email and it would CC everyone who you selected in the group. We've all emails now just go to one person at a time. So they, everyone gets the same yeah. message, but they're individually delivered. Um, and that, that's, right. a, that's a deliver, that's a spam deliverability issue we were hitting where um, if you oh, CC yeah. 50 people um, and one person presses spam or block or reputation drops and it's very hard to control what people I are see. doing with that. So um, we had to do that. So, to, to avoid the reply alls. Um, yep, I know I understand that. And uh, I would say that we have got, well, we've got it in Q4. You can expect around November, December to start talking about it a little bit. We're going to be doing some stuff around um, better communications to people, I would say. So uh, I won't give too much away now, but it'll be easier to send messages to groups of people um like that there's also a feature coming in incident management 
uh, which is kind of what that sounds like to me a deployment like that is you're collaborating about an incident that's going to allow you yes. to send a link like a google form and all the responses will go into the incident effectively as paperwork um which you can export as a spreadsheet or or manage in there so um there's lots of stuff coming around a lot great so we should start looking into that more then perfect okay nick plans to include continual professional development tracking under qualifications oh let me think um we get a lot of requests around this people's just people want to log time themselves without it going through sort of an editor effectively so it's not an official team qualification it's like a personal logbook would that be a good description of that um what can i describe on that um we get the same with equipment where people want to just log outside of it activity usage of equipment too um i guess i would say there are plans but there's no definite spec on this yet but there are plans in some form in the next number of years probably to add some form of logbook feature but we're not quite sure how it's going to work yet and that sounds like what that's like to me we get a lot from canine teams who they all go out as individuals to to train their dog um and so they want to just come back and add some hours themselves it's not like an event that other people are at um so we do hear this again and again uh, so stay tuned, but it, it's not this year that we're adding that. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> so many features. I feel like, I feel like no, last we're time good. we did a feature conversation, there were heaps of different people with different chipping in. But, no, this is um, all great. Okay. Yeah. Audit trail showing what was changed from to and by Easy. who. So especially with the activities you can see um, that someone changed something someone someone mm -hmm. made a change at this time but you can't see what was changed and whether that person had changed something about you know a property of the activity itself or the description or added some documents or whether they changed the attendance of someone um, and when there was only one or maybe two of us doing d4h data entry and admin and stuff that was fine because you always knew it was you <laughs> or knew what you did but now we've had a couple of situations as we've tried to share the load around more more people in the team um we're like oh i'm not sure who made that change and or, you know or how that got changed and so it would just be really good to be able to see who you know how how changes were made not just that someone well, made a change but exactly what they did we do have a feature on the professional accounts uh called mm. revision audit which shows that and I've just switched it on. I think it only go. I think it. I think it's mainly on incidents. But if you next time you try edit an incident, uh, go to the bottom and press View Audit History and see if you see if that's what you're talking about. But I just turned it on on your account. Okay, so. cool. But it, I don't. It's Thanks. not on every. I don't think it's on everything. But it's definitely on incidents. Um, in the incident reports there. Yeah. So see see if that it, helps, and then that's the kind of thing we'd expand wider. Yeah, great, because it's one of those things that you don't need most of the time. <laughs> and then every so often you're just like, oh, I need to get to the bottom of this. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, most of the no, time I it's completely it. invisible and um, not required. We do, I mean, the audit trail, um, I'm trying to think what you think. I'm just going to click into like a qualification on my screen if I press show audit. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it just says details are updated. It doesn't tell you which detail mm. was changed. You can exactly. see every change, or you can see every person who changed something, but not the exact value change. But that revision yeah. audit does, it It, change, it tells you a little bit more. So be interested to see if that matches what you needed. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. Um, unified accounts to log in across all the different geographic data centers. So no, they, they, they won't do this. So um, particularly, so the, the different regions are purely for data protection. So there's nothing mm. to do with performance. We can push, um, push the service out, no problem to anywhere high performance. It's, it, it's, it's down to where data is stored. And so they're completely independent. There's no crossover at all. So yeah. if you're on the US region data center, it knows nothing about you uh, anywhere else in the world. Um, and that's just data privacy rules and um, what's, what's required by most people. So no, the unified accounts yeah. will be within a region. Um, no, so, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And for those that are listening and don't know what we're talking about, basically, there's all these different data centers and different organizations have their um, their information on these different data centers. Mm. And so in our circumstance, um, we were um, in the, we we're in the Asia Pacific data center, which I think was yep. relatively new ish when we joined it helped out yep. some of the troubleshooting with time zones. Um, but um, we do have people who have already been involved with like, for example, land search and rescue and had yep. to do heaps of so, troubleshooting with so them for their logins. We prefer la their land search and rescue to move to the AP, to the Asia Pacific data center. Um, yeah, because, okay. Um, it's, it's a better outcome for everyone. So um, yeah, we, we launched the Sydney data center, which is Asia Pacific for us, which is the Amazon web service data center in Sydney um, probably right about three four five years ago I'm, I'm not quite sure but it uh, relatively recently and anyone who signed up before that was on our global one which um, so we can move people and um, there's a very small fee um, I think it's like a it's a half day for us to do the work to move somebody um, and uh, we can move them and then there's no change in price to the the annual fee um, it's just there's a small one-off fee to get moved. Mm. So um, that's what we prefer is to put everyone into the into cool. the correct region. So for all those other agencies, it's worth worth paying the fee because then your people will get less confused when they're trying to log in across their different organisations. Well, nor with. normally, yeah, <laughs> normally what happens is uh, um, they go through some sort of information security audit. Uh, just on a rotating basis and the, the question comes back to us oh we where is this data exactly and we'll check your service agreement as you know um, we can move you to wherever you'd like so um yeah that's kind of we we see this quite regularly and we're, we're moving people all the time so no problem um right staging test environment so yeah another thing you guys probably wouldn't be aware of all our um all of our professional accounts effectively have a what we call a cloud plan and the cloud plans are like all the kind of premium support and other other security features and things like that, that they pay for on top of the service um that comes with a separate staging environment that, that they get access to oh, okay um, so so that that's why the the volunteer pricing teams don't come with that um the thing to do on this is talk to GP when he reaches out to you and see if he can get you access to something to test in. 
I think is the best best thing in that. Yeah, cool. Because I think that we've um, with the qualifications and the personnel um, side of things, I think we're pretty au fait with it. But I know certainly our equipment team um, and some of their imports, they're doing mega um, changes and just yeah. want to make sure it's right before you do it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, uh, and also when we've had new people coming along and we're trying to teach them how to use it. And so it's not just about data imports, it's also just general how to use. Um, and so that's quite useful as well. But yeah, I, I think um, we've come to the end of our list, which is amazing because we've still got some time left. But um, yeah, I just want to say thank you very much. I, th I know here I feel like I'm just going, what about this and what about this and what about this? But what we haven't sort of represented enough in this, in this webinar is just how much it has helped us. And as I say, it was really, really essential to get the good, shareable, um, reportable data, um, both to help with our accreditation and also since mm. for us to be able to see who we can deploy to what thing without having to reply, rely on team members team leaders' memories of capabilities, we can just um, run that report and super useful when yeah. Cyclone Gabriel came on, Auckland Floods came along and we could just go, no, look, we know what we're doing, we know who can go, um, we, we know who's up to scratch and we know what people's capabilities are in a really uh, good, reportable, secure kind of manner. So thank you. Excellent. No, no problem. And I'd, I'd encourage as well that we've, we've, if you've anybody technical on the team, we have an API that they can uh, work with. Um, yeah, there's a lot of I've been working with it. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah, well, then thanks. Integrating, say, tell, tell GP you need a test account for that. That's the best way. So, anyone who's building anything with the API or anything they can share with other people built with the API that does any specialist functions, because we, we often see there's there's some quite specialist needs people have, and it's hard for us to, to to enable everything, but a lot of people have built those add-ons uh, using the API. So all sorts of things um, happening with it, people connecting up CAD systems and bulk bulk change systems. And we've some teams who've built their own app, but all the data gets pushed back into, into D4H. So there's loads of stuff like that going on. Um, that's kind of exciting. Well, this is fantastic. Richard, uh, anything else you'd like to add? I know uh, myself and Natalie have taken over the conversation a little. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, no, not all. Uh, you can see Natalie is uh, very much our D4H expert. Um, so, you know, great to to hear the uh, the conversation this morning. And thanks for the opportunity. Perfect. You know, this, this has been great. Um, and I'm really glad to hear that um, it helps you do your job and uh, that you're utilizing it. it is it all right that um, anyone else, any of the other response teams thinking about D4H reach out to you and ask any questions? Sure, absolutely. I think we're already in touch with several of them, but I'm always happy to speak to speak to more. NZRT is a brilliant asset, so thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I see another question come in there, Amy. Amy's behind the scenes running this. I should have given her a shout out at the start. She's doing a great job. Um, so these questions we're seeing, they're coming in over across LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, I think um, anywhere that you can you can watch this live stream. Um, this looks like a, someone in New Zealand. Um, is there a community page to discuss and share API builds? No, there isn't. We don't have a single community page um, to discuss this stuff on. The thing to do is probably well through whatever you'd I'd say we don't have we don't host one, but um, 
I'm wondering if you were to email into the help desk, if they can point you to some other people who are doing some stuff on that might be a good route um, to do it. So what we'd say is if you start the community page, that'd be great because community <laughs> page should be by the community and not by us, uh, I think is what I'd recommend. Uh, it'll be a much better community than us going and posting commercial content into it. So great. That's, that's lovely. Thank you guys. And uh, I, I hope to see you in New Zealand at some point. Looking awesome. forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Great. See you later.